no matter what the crisis you're facing, the truth of the matter is, again, more people look to us than we know. And you set that tone for them to be kind to other people in these kinds of adverse circumstances. Welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. And welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast, where our goal is not only to help you land your dream job, but to help you live your best life. Today's episode is for those who want to grow as leaders, whether you're a first-time manager or you're experienced and simply looking to grow into your full potential, you need to listen to every minute of this episode. We'll discuss the challenges of getting hired as a leader and how to stand out as a job candidate. Today's society needs strong leaders, ones who can lead through times of crisis and change. So we'll speak about leveling up as a leader, perhaps more generally answering questions like, how can I grow as a manager or leader? How should we deliver bad news? How can we address layoffs and other challenges? And what about global disasters? There is someone who I would consider to be a top expert in this area, and we are so lucky to have him today. Paul Falcone. He's principal of Paul Falcone Workplace Leadership Consulting, LLC, specializing in management and leadership training, among other services. He is the former CHRO of Nickelodeon and has held senior level HR positions with Paramount Pictures, Time Warner, and City of Hope. He has extensive experience in entertainment, healthcare, and financial services, and other environments. Paul is also the author of a number of best-selling books, including his latest, The First Time Manager Leading Through Crisis. So this is a book that was a part of a series originating with The First Time Manager, which has sold over 500,000 copies. My gosh. Paul is a certified executive coach, a long-term columnist for Sherm.org and HR Magazine, and an adjunct faculty member in UCLA Extension School of Business and Management. He is an accomplished keynote presenter, in-house trainer, and webinar facilitator in the areas of talent and performance management, leadership development, and effective leadership communication. So my gosh, what an amazing bio. And like I said, we're going to cover all things leadership. Perhaps you are somebody who's looking to move on up in your career from manager to director, director to VP, or it's your first time managing. You've got to listen to this episode because we have some exciting content coming. So let's launch into it with this episode of the Career Warrior Podcast. Paul, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. It's great to have you. No, my pleasure, Chris. Very happy to be here. Well, I'm so excited to dive into some of these questions that I have prepared and perhaps some that I will just throw at you here. Nothing that's going to be completely out of the blue. But I mean, the first one that I think are going to prime listeners here for this topic of hiring and leadership and, you know, really growing into our full potential are, you know, some of your own stories. You have this great career that you've developed, these amazing organizations that you've been a part of. So I'd love to hear if you have any interesting stories in the realm of HR or hiring. Oh boy, I got a lot of stories. First of all, you used my long form bio, so thank you very much. I was like, wow, I guess I did all those things. It does sound like a lot, um, but it's been a good <laughs> run. I've had a lot of fun. Um, the storytelling is kind of where it's at. I mean, when people say, how did you write 17 books? I'm like, believe me, I'm not that creative. When you're in human resources, the content just seems to find you. So I can't take too much credit for it. But what I am good at is turning it into stories. Because I think when you filter things through people's imagination, they can relate to it. If you just give them facts and figures and rules and policy, things, you know, they go in one ear out the other. 
but people, when they can relate it to their own experience, it sticks. And I think that's where the storytelling piece has kind of made sense for me. And again, three decades in HR, I, you know, you, you sit back and you say, I think I've seen it all, but not really. There's still stuff out there that's pretty amazing. It's like, they yeah. did what? And even I can get knocked off my chair. <laughs> but the funny thing for me was, I was, my background started in search. I did recruiting outside of human resources. I did contingency search for about six years, fresh out of college. When I moved inside with corporate, all of a sudden I was always seeing the recruiting and the staffing from the other side of the desk, from the employer side, as opposed to the agency side or headhunter side. There was one point in my career, Chris, where I, I think okay. I shared with you, I was working for a private equity company. And in private equity, when they buy a new portfolio company, they typically shave off the C-level or some of the C-level, the CEO, COO, CFO. And I was responsible for finding that new C-level talent for the new portfolio companies. So I've kind of done it all. The union hiring, I've been in the nonprofit world, I've done Fortune 500, I've done startup. And for me, I guess my story is my career was always parallel with my writing because I've been writing since the mid-1990s. And I always wanted to make sure I had as balanced approach as I possibly could. And I think that touching all different industries, different sizes of companies all made the difference to kind of make, I would hope, the content more relatable to everybody. So lots of stories and we'll share with them as we go. I'm happy to happy to enlighten the audience Amazing. a little bit with some of the crazy stuff that goes on in my world. But anyone who's in human resources has seen much of the same Amazing. stuff. So yeah. That is awesome to hear. Please feel free to inject any of that as we kind of cover some of the challenges of being a leader as well as getting hired. But I think that's so cool that you are here today to help all the folks here who are, you know, looking to level up their careers. And there's a lot of folks who are really struggling, I think, to get noticed or to get hired right now. I know a lot of the, the clients we speak with here at Let's Eat Grandma are folks who, you know, perhaps they're looking to move up a level in their career, kind of progress and move forward and get hired in these leadership positions. So I know you've worked you know, along on the other side, working with getting folks hired um, in these awesome companies. But to speak from the perspective of a job seeker, what do you see from their side of the big challenges of getting hired? You know, what are these challenges of getting hired as a leader, Paul? Well, there's two points to the question, Chris. One of them is the challenge in getting hired. And one of it is getting hired as a leader. And I think they're two separate things that I'll talk briefly if I can about both. The one thing I would say is, everybody, there's something called the Bureau of Labor Statistics. It's bls.gov. And they have the Occupational Outlook Handbook, which talks about the next 10 years going forward. And where's the growth coming in various professions, HR, IT, finance, marketing, whatever. Um, it's a great website. It's bls, like Bureau of Labor Statistics.gov forward slash OOH, like Occupational Outlook Handbook. Spend some time there. Now, you can look up your particular job, for example, in my world, HR management, because it, it gives you staff HR is one category, HR management is another category. And there's a spreadsheet. And what you do is you just kind of filter it from top growing industries to slowest growing industries. And for example, it'll say the average job in corporate America is growing at 5%, right? Then it'll say, well, HR management jobs are growing at about 7%. So that's good. You're a little bit higher than average in the HR profession. Okay, but then when you get to the spreadsheet, there's a 40 plus or 40 minus type of swing. If you're looking to get into HR in healthcare, in the technical world, in the consulting space, in the whatever, 
that could be up mm-hmm. 20, 30, 40% relative to that average seven. If you're looking to get into HR in the post yeah. office, it might be minus 35%. And the reason I bring it up, Chris, is because industry is the most important driver these days. If, regardless of what you do, if you're a mm. marketing person, but you can do it in a STEM type of company, right? Science, technology, engineering, math. If you can, you, you didn't study STEM, you're not a STEM student, but you can take your discipline and focus it. All of a sudden, there's so much more job security. There's so much more job opportunity. There's so much more demand. We live in a schizophrenic environment out there. It's like a lot of companies are laying off. A lot of companies are like starving for oxygen. They can't find people. Some companies, it's the same company. On the left hand, they're laying off. On the right hand, they're dying because of talent scarcity. So know your industries. So look at whatever your discipline is. Spend time on that BLS website. Get a feel for where the growth is. And that's really the greatest trajectory factor that I can say in terms of your career. To the second piece of what you're talking about with the leadership, there's something out there that I talk to people about the MOOCs, the Massive Open Online Courses. There's organizations out there, Coursera, edX, Udemy. These are MOOCs, and MOOCs are courses that are taught for free by university professors from the largest universities out there. We're talking Harvard, Yale, Stanford, all of this stuff. It's this goodwill effort to educate the world for free. And where they spend a lot of time in the MOOCs, Chris, is really if you want to learn about artificial intelligence or IT and these kinds of things. But for leadership development too, these are free classes. You can pay a small fee if you want to get a certification. That's an extra cost. But the bottom line is, it's kind of like a LinkedIn learning, but it's just broader than that. Spend your time building muscle. Put that on your resume that you're learning about these management techniques and leadership techniques and that you've been educated by a MOOC. Most employers like me would be very impressed with the level of ambition that you show just doing that alone. Right. And not to forget the fuel that it brings to the conversation when you're in an interview, you're going to have a little bit more of that background, that research and that fire behind your answer. I think if you just came off of one of these learning courses. So I love that advice. I've actually never heard that on the the podcast. So I think that's awesome. Speaking about leveling up in skills, one thing we spoke about in our prior conversation was about soft skills and how they've really kind of taken the forefront, I think, of just things that leaders have to have. Soft skills are becoming more and more important in hiring in general. So I'd love it if you could speak more about soft skills. It's funny, Chris, when I was going through my growing through my career, they called it soft skills. And if I said in a company where I was, we want to do training on soft skills, they'd be like, back, go away. We don't want you here, right? That, that, that's like <laughs> HR stuff. Get out of here. Okay. Now they call it <laughs> emotional intelligence. Yeah. And now there's this big demand for it. And in mm-hmm. all these CEO surveys, this idea of emotional intelligence or having a high EQ as opposed to an IQ, right? The emotional quotient versus the intellectual quotient. CEOs are coming back in survey after survey, where that becomes the top five. What changed? COVID. With the great resignation, with the fact that American Mm. workforces have now moved into either fully remote or hybrid types of situations, where most still are these days. What CEOs have realized is, you know, the greatest asset that they have, and and it is, I mean, all of a sudden there truly is an appreciation for human beings in the workplace. They've always said people are our greatest asset, but people are like, yeah, 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 sure, you lay us off as soon as you can. Well, we heard this, we, we heard the stories, you know, the restaurants were able to stay open through COVID, but then finally the COVID was declared over 
and they couldn't find waiters and they couldn't find cooks and they, they couldn't keep the doors open because they couldn't find the human beings. Well, guess what? It's not just restaurants that went through those challenges. A lot of companies did too. And what CEOs are realizing is you need leaders who know how to bond with people, especially when they are not physically on site down the hall where you're going to bump into them in the break. The reality is when you're doing right. remote leadership, it has to be more deliberate, more purposeful, more intentional, more planned. And if you don't have the ability to bond with people, that rule is true. People join companies, but they leave managers, right? And if the managers aren't able to build some kind of trust, some kind of bond, people are going to leave. And that becomes your reality. And CEOs have seen that. So now in the surveys, what they're saying is what they want among their leadership teams from the senior level to the frontline operational managers is they want the ability to bond with people and build ties, even if people don't work in the same physical location. That makes so much sense. Again, given the context of everything that's gone on in the last three years, one weird or kind of strange question I might have for you is like, I wouldn't know where to start when it comes to working on some of these, call it soft skills or emotional skills. I feel like I can't really pick up a book and learn about how to bond or something like that and like really have it stick. One thing I'm obsessed with, for example, is my own development into becoming a more creative individual or someone who is able to communicate better. But I think books are great and they have their time and place. But do you have any other recommendations for how to foster and develop the soft skills as leaders? It's a great question, Chris. It's what are the soft skills? It's communication. It's team building. It's establishing trust. It's getting people to want to give discretionary effort, not because they have to, but because they want to. The question I always tell managers is ask your people a question. Are you able to do your very best work every day with peace of mind? That's the question. Are you able to do your very best work every day with peace of mind? You'll be surprised when you ask that question. You're not always going to get answers you saw coming. You might be a little shocked. And the manager says, well, why didn't you tell me? And it's like, it isn't something I felt comfortable bringing up. But since you're asking... And so the idea is there are questions that you can use to kind of build that on your own team. The other thing I'd say is this, we complicate things so much. We tell ourselves too many narratives that get in our way. You be the average bear, right? Would you want to work for you? That's a question that I ask with the executives who I coach. And the other question is if the whole company followed your lead in terms of your behavior, your conduct, your, your role model leadership, would you be happy with where you took it? And those drive career mm -hmm. introspection. And it makes people look at me and they're like, you know, Paul, I, yeah, sometimes, not always, I realize I've got my shortcomings, but you know, I've got a lot on my plate. And they kind of go down that rabbit hole. I pull them out of the rabbit hole and say, don't apologize. It's cool. It's good that you recognize it. But I'm going to give you a simple prism yeah. to look through. Think about your favorite boss. Tell me about your favorite boss. And right away, they start talking about, well, she challenged me to do things I didn't even think I was ready for. She had more faith in me than I had in, me, in myself at the time. Or he always made me feel good about myself. He made me feel like I had a seat at the table. He had my back. What you're talking about in that situation is who that person was, not necessarily what they did. And, and as a society, we're always chasing our tails about doing, doing, doing. The truth of the matter is the best managers, best leaders are just being. They're being a certain way. And from their beingness, stems what they do. So again, just keep it simple. Can you pay that forward? Can you be cool. someone's best boss? Because through that prism, you bring in employee engagement, employee discretionary effort, employee satisfaction, 
the idea of safety for innovation and creativity because people have to feel safe. They can't feel like they take a risk for them to be innovative. You know, it's one of those things where they don't want to be, if you stick your head out, it gets lopped off. So right away they go back into the foxhole. You've got to get them to the point <laughs> where they're comfortable suggesting ideas, even if someone might think they're stupid, for example. So again, just pay it forward. Can you be the best boss to your employees that the best boss you've ever had has been to you? And voila, your soft skills go up. Your level of awareness goes up. Your level of <laughs> cool. empathy and empathetic le leadership gets higher and stronger. It's like, don't overthink this stuff. Keep it simple, but just understand that more people are yeah. watching us than we know. And I don't say that from a big brother standpoint. I say that from the standpoint of, you know, people watch us and they look for cues. And the leadership of any company, that's your culture. If that leadership is healthy, if they laugh a lot, if it's pretty light in there, you know, and you can be yourself and do your best work every day with peace of mind, you are going to get one result. If it's tense, if it's constantly micromanaging, if it's angsty, you feel like you're walking on eggshells, I'm not saying you can't be successful, but I don't know that you'll be as successful as you might otherwise be. Very practical. And by the way, didn't mean to, you know, insult books. You've written all these amazing books, but it's just so great to physically hear you say these things so people could feel the excitement and practical application of asking these questions to your employees. I think that's awesome. Kind of pivoting to the making sure we're on track for the, the, the job search piece. One thing that is tough, and this comes from a person who started a resume writing company. But one thing that is tough is to just communicate soft skills on a resume and have it actually be effective. I loved your answer to this when I asked you earlier about how do we communicate soft skills, such as communication, creativity, being able to bond in remote environments? How do we communicate that on a resume and or an interview? It's a good question. I wouldn't put it in the section that says, you know, overall, Great communication skills, great leadership skills. You know, people do that. And on a resume, it comes across as insincere. There's no way to prove it. it. It's just, okay, well, I'm glad you have it in there, but truthfully, it's a waste of space. Build bullets that talk about what you've done to demonstrate strong leadership and communication and team building. So for example, when things turned remote in your world, what did you do as a leader, assuming you're on the leadership side, to keep the communication going, to keep your people feeling like they're still part of the mama ship, that they are still part of the action. And for some people that meant began one-on-one -on -one weekly meetings with my direct reports, began bi-weekly staff meetings where everyone had a chance to contribute and give updates, implemented a quarterly achievement calendar where everyone could see what everyone else was working on on a share drive, created monthly start-stop-continue meetings to make sure that we were in line and learning from our best practices started quarterly one-on-one -on -one meetings and, and moved my annual performance review process to actually three quarterly meetings leading up to the annual meeting so that we can talk about performance in real time or in realer time and then focus the annual review on goal setting and professional and career development in the future, which is really where it should be. Most companies do annual reviews once a year and all they do is talk 90% of the time about how they did performance-wise in the past. If you're doing this on a quarterly basis mm -hmm. and you're talking about performance, then the annual review is just an aggregate of what you've talked about in the past, but it can focus on the future. And that's where we want to be. The future is the fun part. What can I do differently? How can I reinvent what I'm doing? How do you get people to kind of feel motivated? 
Your job as a manager is not to motivate. All motivation is internal, right? It's self-motivation. I can't motivate you. Yeah. You can't motivate me. But my job as a leader is to create the space where people can motivate themselves. And one of the ways you do that is to get cool. them constantly focusing on, you know, where you are right now is your baseline. How do you grow it? How do I help you get there? And this idea of career and professional development, Chris, in survey after survey, when you look at Gen, Gen Y millennials and Gen Z Zoomers, it's one of the top three or top five always. In survey after survey, they want career and professional development. This isn't that hard to do. Just carve out the space on your calendar. And I will also say, I'm not giving managers more work. I'm putting the work on the employees. They set the time on my calendar. Yeah. They set the agenda. I'm there to listen. I tell them, I'm going to be your mentor and your coach. But I want the managers to have a couple of questions in their back pocket in case the, you know, the meeting gets a little quiet or gets a little awkward. You want to have some prompting questions to help. That makes sense. But the bottom line is it's, these are adults. I want my employees to feel like they can step up. They can prepare. They're in control. My job is just help them get there. And that's really what a coaching leader does. And how often did you say that these meetings were? Were they quarterly, monthly? Companies do it differently. Sometimes they start when, when they want to move into this mode of mm -hmm. real-time feedback. The first thing you have to do is teach them how to give positive recognition in real time. Because again, we tell ourselves narratives. A lot of managers will say, oh, you can't say good things about your employees. It'll go to their head. They're going to want more money, which is baloney. Because if you're the average bear and your <laughs> boss called you out in front of everyone and said, Paul Falcone, that was a great job. How did you do that? How did you save that account? We all want to learn. Do tell. What are you going to think? I want a 10% raise? That's not how people think. They just, if that's the psychic income. When it comes to recognition, give it freely. It doesn't cost you yeah. anything. But the other thing is, again, people want to learn their craft, their trade, their job. You have to be able to give constructive feedback. And again, it's not what you say, but it's how you say it. There are some managers who call out people with the Y word. Why did you do, what were you thinking? Do that in front of a team of 10 people. You didn't just lose the one person you directed it at. You lost the other nine as well. You just gave them a very clear message that you're going to get Absolutely. called out and publicly humiliated if you make a mistake. Instead, be that boss that you would want to have. Tell me, you know, hey, sometimes it's a great job. We're going to say that in front of all 10 people on the team. Sometimes I have to give constructive feedback. I do that one-on-one -on -one in private, right? Praise in public, censure in private. And we sit together and say, tell me about that. Tell me what you were thinking. Let me see if I can help. Maybe we can strengthen this together. Or uh, when I was working with this particular client or whatever, I'd be happy to share with you some of the shortcuts that I learned if you're open to it. You become that kind of leader. Your people aren't going anywhere for 20%. Yeah, I could get 20% if I switch jobs, but they're not going to want to, Chris, because they've got a manager who's got their back. Yeah, That's it. If, if I feel like my boss really wants for me what I want for me, which is career growth and development while I'm making a positive contribution at work, I'm not going to leave that too quickly. 20% is great, but I may end up working for someone who spits fire and throws chairs. That risk isn't worth it for me. I'd rather stay where I'm comfortable. And I'd like to say that over my three decades in HR, I've had very little turnover on my teams. So to me, that's my own Paul Falcone proof that this stuff works really well. That's awesome. Now, I want to pivot to the topic of leading through change and crisis we have a few exciting questions that our listeners are going to want to hear. First of all, just to kind of prime our vocabulary a little bit, and it's a good reminder for me even, what's the difference between a manager and a leader? Your book is called The First Time Manager, but you also have so much good advice on leadership. 
but how do we distinguish the two definitions? Yeah, all of a sudden, I'm kind of getting into the new manager space, and I'm enjoying that. It's not really an audience that I've written to in the past, but last year, I had a book came out called New Managers. Right now, I've got a book that's called uh, The First Time Manager Leading Through Crisis. Next year, I'll have a book out called The First Time HR Manager. So I, I've got a lot of stuff going on in that space. It's fun space because that's where people are so hungry to learn. You need both management and leadership, right? Management is giving people direction. Mm -hmm. It's telling them, quote unquote, what to do. It's giving them guidance. It's asking short questions mm -hmm. and it's practical. Leadership is different. It's inspirational. Leadership is what influences people to want to follow you? What makes people feel like, I don't want to leave this company because I really like working for Paul. I'm very comfortable here. Not comfortable in the sense where they're left alone to do their own thing. That's not what I mean by comfortable. Comfortable to me means a balance of I'm challenged. I like the work that I'm doing. I feel like I'm learning new things. And I've got a boss who A, has fun, lightens things up, and B, cares about me personally. That's really what the key to it all is. I mean, literally, when you think about your best boss, your favorite boss you've ever had, it comes down to their character and their caring. It's the two C's. Their character means you respected them, you trusted them, their word was their bond, you can rely on them. That's the character piece. And again, even in these surveys, Chris, about what do millennials want? One of the top things is career and professional development. One of the other things, they want to work for, a, for an ethical company doing meaningful work for a management team that cares about them personally. So again, just look where the trends are. We're talking trends that are going to go out now for the next yeah. 20 to 30 years. Not that hard, but how do you as a manager, how do you as a company try and fill those needs? Some of the other things they want is corporate social responsibility and environmentalism, okay? They want to make the world a better place. Some of the things they want would be some kind of work-life-family balance, control, equilibrium. There's different things that you're reading about in these surveys, but these are the tea leaves that kind of point to the future. As much as you could incorporate and embrace these concepts and build them into your culture, you're just going to be kind of that invisible hand that makes people feel very attracted to your organization. So again, horse sense on the one hand, but mm. not everyone has the time to do the research on this stuff that I do. So I hope that you know, in my books, I've tried to keep it simple, yeah. but kind of bring some of that wisdom along with it. I love that. Thank you so much. And I'll ask you about the tough challenges we've dealt with this year. We dealt with everything from the layoffs, inflation, and people's fear or excitement about AI and how that's quickly changing the hiring and, you know, human resources work landscape. But my question to you is how do we lead people towards the company vision? during times like this. And I'd also love it if you can build in an answer to how to deliver bad news practically, since I did mention the layoffs thing a second ago. But yeah, how do we lead people during turbulent times, just more generally, and bad news? Okay, two questions. I got answers to both. Okay, so here's, here's the thought. So rule number one is this. We've lost the ability as a society to sit around the campfire and pass wisdom from the elder generation down to the younger generation. We're just too busy. We're looking at our phones. That's what staff meetings represent, hmm. an opportunity to get everyone back and involved and everyone speaking, not just you. This is not a top-down meeting. This is everyone getting a chance to talk about their achievements so we can pat them on the back, celebrate, talk about where they're doing in terms of their project status, where they might need help, and get everyone to know that we've got each other's backs and we're there to help one another. Just that message alone to your team makes a very, very big difference. You know, Gen Z, the Zoomers, the 25 and under crowd, have tested out as the loneliest, most isolated, and most depressed 
generational cohort on the planet, even more so than the, than the retirees in retirement homes. They're the first truly digital generation, but with that digitalness came a sense of isolation. The workplace is a chance to kind of bring them back in. COVID didn't help, Chris. Yes. How many kids in high school lost two to three years? How many kids in college lost two to three years? It's hard. Our job as people who are elder is to kind of bring, the, give them back to themselves, bring them out of that so that they feel more comfortable in that space. So that's the first thing that I would say. You have to be able to sit around and talk about I like things. the campfire analogy too, just as a side note. I think that's such a great way to compare that. Yeah. And the other thing too, is there's a great TED talk. It's one of the top 10 TED talks. It's by Brene Brown, professor at the University of Austin on the importance of vulnerability. And when you as a leader can make yourself vulnerable, your employees can make themselves vulnerable in a healthy sense. The vulnerability is kind of opening up your body to say, look, I'm not perfect. I'm here. I need your help. And that, when it's accepted and reciprocated, builds trust greater than anything else. So I'm talking about, you know, how to be a leader through these times. When you're going through pandemics, there's war going on right now. We're worried about so many things, to your point, right? Is it the weather, the temperatures out there, the global warming? Is it the politics which going on, what are, what are going on? There's homelessness issues. This is gun violence. We have a 24-7 news cycle. And it never stops pounding these messages into people's minds. I mean, think about it for a minute, Chris. In October of 2022, just about a year ago, no one really knew what AI was. If you can get people to say AI stood for artificial intelligence, you had a pretty advanced group. In November of last year, ChatGPT comes out. And now everything is about AI. As a matter of fact, Elon Musk said the world is going to end because of AI soon. And he's not the only one to make these predictions. You can't go from October where no one knows what it is to November in the same year, 2022, when the world is ending. It's just too much. We, you, but it's, a, again, a 24-7 news cycle and they have to fill that air and they keep doing it. Be the wisdom. Help your people look at things from the 30,000 foot level. Yes, we live in the weeds and you don't have to be the only one who has wisdom. Ask them for their wisdom too. But the truth of the matter is we all have to help each other through these times. I had written an article for sure the Society for Human Resources Management in terms of helping your people let their hair down in a staff meeting. And it opens up, you would never talk about religion and politics in business. But my point of that article is sometimes people have to. Now, this is not about red hats and blue hats and who believes in what. This is about how things are affecting you and how we can help. Because sometimes you can okay. just look at your team and they're exhausted. They've just had enough. And you got to call them into a staff meeting and you have to say, look, you guys, let's talk about this. I want to make sure we're all okay. Now, the way I did it, does anyone need some additional time off? Even if you don't have time on the books, I will give you the time off. No, no, Paul, we appreciate it, but we're okay. Right. Okay. Does anyone need extra sets of hands that I can help with or anyone else can volunteer to help? Give them that, that space. Give them the room to breathe. Give them the room to exhale. And they can kind of rebuild themselves, but don't just look the other way and sweep it under the rug. So I would say that part of it right. is important. To your second question, Chris, when it comes to delivering constructive feedback, I had written a book called 101 Tough Conversations to Have with Your Employees. And knock on wood, that book has been ranked first in the Amazon bestsellers category from corporate cultures to team building to conflict resolution, all this stuff. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. If I open up a meeting with someone who's got a really, really bad attitude, I have a choice. I could say, you know, you got a really, really bad attitude and I'm really tired of it. 
which is going to shut them down and make them defensive right from the very beginning, where you can open it up differently and say, Paul, I need to talk to you about something. The most important decisions about you and your career are going to be made when you're not in the room. That's the same for me as it is for you, as it is for everybody else. There may be things that are missing awareness right now that could hold you back over time in your career. And I wouldn't be doing your service as your manager if I didn't bring this up to your attention. So I'd like to talk to you about it if you'll be comfortable with my doing so and you'll give me the okay to do so. But I think this can help you over the mm. long term because it's going to raise your awareness. And I'd like to be the coach to help you get through it so you can fix it now so that it never plagues you in the future. Okay for me to go on? And they'll say, yeah, sure, what's going on? And now you can talk about the fact that whatever, you know, people are using terms like right. arrogant, condescending, confrontational, combative. And Paul, the truth of the matter is it's a perception problem. I don't think that that's what you're intending to do, but you are held to your perception right. just like I am. It's a perception management issue. I have to hold you accountable, right. right, for your perception management. And let me help you do that. You'll be surprised how quickly you can turn around someone who's going down the wrong path. And all of a sudden they're like, you know what? They may not like hearing it, Chris, but the way it's delivered, some people need to sleep on it for a night, maybe for a couple of nights. Normally they'll come back and say, I'm ready to listen to what you have to say. So give yeah. them a little bit of space, absolutely, but make it in their best interest. Yeah. It can be almost scary and anxiety inducing, not only from the employee's perspective, but as you as the manager who has to have this interaction with somebody remembering one time i had back in my restaurant management days i had a bus boy who just was doing everything that i did not want that person to, <laughs> to do and like just having that conversation i think was so tough of a hurdle for me to get over because i knew that this person was going to be very combative but i think saying it the way that you suggested with that soft and empathetic tone and not making it about this person's a bad person. They have all these negative traits. Rather, you want them to succeed and you want what's best for everyone. So I I love that. I'd recommend people go back and like rewind and like listen to the way that you said that. I think that was really just really well put. Cool. Yeah. It's like you can be kind and caring, but still hold people accountable. You can be a nice person, but you can still have high expectations. It's not one or the other. It's both. It's just a matter of how you do it. And the reason I wrote that book was the hardest part is opening the conversation. So I don't tell people, say it exactly this way, but I give an example of how I put it and it's just a, make it your own, but feel comfortable going into a conversation. Don't be the manager who's like the monkey, covers his eyes, covers his ears, covers his mouth and hopes the thing fixes itself. Normally it doesn't. But again, however you structure that intervention, what comes from you, what emanates from you, returns to you, right? It's like if you mm. give it a certain way, people will receive it a certain way and they'll return that favor. So powerful. So Paul, I want to ask a follow-up question. Then I have another kind of question to round out this episode here. The follow-up question is you, you know, touched upon, I think, global crises and how that would affect employees. You talked about being open and, you know, asking people like, you know, what kind of support they need, whether it be a day off, things like that. I think that all sounds great, but is there a wrong way or to go about, I think, covering things that happen in the news, whether it be, you know, war, political events, things like that. I would love to hear about possible mistakes that a manager could make when it comes to dealing with these external events. Yeah, Chris, that's a great question. People can step on landmines, even though they have good intentions and you just have to be careful. The wires are exposed today. 
people are exhausted. People are inundated by the news and what they hear. Lord, just take the politics, right? Politics in my six decades on this planet, I'm 60 years old. I've never seen what's going on today. I'm sure it was hard in the 1960s, but I was a baby then. I'm sure it was hard in the 1860s when they had the Civil War. I mean, I get all that stuff, but right now (laughs) it's visceral. Mm -hmm. Right now it's really, really difficult because this is how people identify themselves and we are truly separate. And, and that's, that's not united, these states. These states are very much bifurcated. We are very separated, and it's a hard time. You have to be really careful. You don't want to offend. And so what I think is, if you go into a meeting with someone, with a team, and you say, guys, I want to see how you're doing. This is not about red hats and blue hats. I have a black and white shirt on today with stripes, and I have a whistle, which means I can stop this meeting at any time, or at least stop the trend that the conversation is moving in. I need that agreement from you guys all from the minute we start. Everyone on the same page there? Yeah, Paul. Okay, fine. Now we can talk about it. Now tell me how, is there anything in terms of how you guys are feeling, anything that I can do? We'll start with that to help you to take some of the load off your desk, some of the weight off your plate, so to speak. Anything that any of us can, do we need to push back go live dates? Do we need to hire a temp? What do we need to do to kind of make it so that we're all feeling a little bit more in control right now? And it's met with total silence for about 30 seconds until someone says, okay, well, I'll begin. Here's how I feel. Now, again, not everyone's going to agree with me, Chris. Some managers out there are going to say, no, I don't agree with that style of leadership. They're getting paid to do a job. And if that job is hard, so be it. That's why they call it work. And I'm not going to hold their hands. And that's fine. I don't tell people what's right or wrong. I just think, what would you respond to? I know what I would respond to. If I had a manager who did that, I would feel so beholden to that person and so thankful for that person and so loyal to that person because they get it and they care. That's how I respond. So that's how I give it. Now, if you feel like I wouldn't even respond well, I wouldn't respect a manager who would do something like that, then don't do it. I'm okay with that. I don't say that every idea I have is like golden. But I do think sometimes we tell ourselves these narratives that get in our way. I'm a manager now. I don't need HR's help. I don't need my boss's help. That's why they made me a manager. And they go it alone, not realizing that leadership is a team sport. You better get that hot potato off your lap. When something comes your way, if you're told something in confidence, you cannot keep anything confidential that's a potential conflict of interest with the organization that borders on harassment, discrimination, or retaliation that has to do with potential violence in the workplace. You've got to disclose it. As soon as you get it off your lap and you give it to HR, or you get it off your lap and you give it to your boss, you're clear, right? You're acting within the course and scope of your managerial authority. However, if you keep it on your lap, the problem is when that thing explodes, you're the only one it's going to explode on. The concept of strict liability in the law sense basically says if a manager knew or should have known, the entire company is deemed to be placed on notice. So all it is, Oh, Paul Falcone didn't say anything about my being hit on by my boss. Thank goodness. I just asked him to keep an eye on things. Boom. Mm -hmm. He just stepped on a giant landmine because the whole company was deemed to be placed on notice and the company did nothing. Even though the company didn't know, only this Paul Falcone fellow was the only one who knew. But in the eyes of the law, he represents the entire company. The company is a corporate citizen. That citizen did nothing when it found out about the problem. So these are the naivetes that managers walk through life with. I'm a manager. I don't need anyone's help. I can do it all on my own. Only a matter of time until that blows up in your lap. 
And these are the kinds of things that you try right. and bring awareness to that make leaders stronger in their sense of having more self-confidence about what they're doing. And, and the idea is representing their organization at a higher level. Paul, this has been a fabulous interview. We've touched things like how to get noticed as a leader. We talked about global crisis, layoffs, managing really through, I think, hard times. I think this has been such a unique episode for this podcast. And we've done over 315 of these so far. So thank you wow. so much. Oh, it's my pleasure, Chris. I had a blast. It's great. I have a few kind of follow-up questions to your book in a second. I think folks need to hear those. But just one of the missions for this podcast is to reach out to the struggling professional or job seeker who is going through a hard time. So what final words of advice would you have for somebody who is dealing with some sort of discouragement in their life, whether that be a layoff or they feel like they're just not moving forward in their career and they just feel that that really anxiety-inducing feeling on the inside, what would you tell that person going through that right now? It's almost like self-coaching, right? Take yourself out of the weeds and take yourself up to the 30,000-foot view and look ahead and see where we're going in the next five to 10 years. The weeds are right now. And yes, we all live in the weeds, but you've got to kind of see where things are going. Here's the truth of the matter. Most people feel like they've been treading water in their careers for the last three years because of COVID, right? But no opportunities for much. You were lucky to still have a job if you had a job. And for people who didn't have jobs, okay, then it became talent scarcity and there were opportunities, but then that shut down. The great resignation became the great regret from 2022 to 2023, right? All of a sudden, all the people who left during the great resignation regret that they left. They wish they had never left. You guys, stop all the noise. Just go back to basics. You know that over the next few years, yeah, we're going to have ups and downs. We have industries like I came out of entertainment. They're having really tough times. But you have industries like biotech and healthcare that are doing great. The surprise is high tech, which usually is golden, is having problems itself and laying off. Expect the unexpected. But when I say go back to your basics, look at your resume again with a fresh set of eyes. Can you refresh it? Is there anything you can do while you're in transition to demonstrate your ambition? Can you get a certificate from LinkedIn Learning or from one of the MOOCs that we talked about, those massive open online courses? What can you do to build your references? Talk to your old bosses. Tell them that you're moving into job search mode and you'd hope that they'd be willing to sponsor you. If they're not, or the company doesn't exist, see if you can somehow get copies of your old performance reviews so you can give that to a prospective employer because they have to do their due diligence too. And if they can't get a hold of a reference, they'd like to see a former performance review. But just take a fresh look. We're about on the heels of a brand new year. 2024 is right around the corner. Let's take a look at if you had to start over again, whatever your history has been for the last three to five years, just take a deep breath. And again, think about industry trumps company and job. It's usually those three things, the job title, the company, and the industry. Think about industry. That's where the jobs are going to be. And then try to figure out, is my resume ready? Am I on LinkedIn? Do I have what I need there? And if not, start now. Today's the first day of the rest of your life. Have some fun with this. Don't take it too seriously. I know that it can get hard sometimes and it can feel like there's the weight of <laughs> you know, an 800-pound gorilla on your back. But the truth of the matter is, come from enlightenment. Just lighten things up a little bit. Keep that perspective of where you're going three to five years from now and don't get lost in today because it's hard when you do that. Life is hard enough these days for all of us. 
that wisdom will really help you, I think, and move up to that higher level and see where you're going. I love that. Paul Falcone, everybody. Paul, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I have to ask you, and for those who have made it through the entire episode, I will, of course, leave Paul's information on the description of this podcast so you can stop you know, whenever you're done jogging or driving, you can check out Paul's website, his LinkedIn profile and how to get his book. But Paul, I have to ask you about the first time manager leading through crisis. What is one fun fact about this book that you haven't told on any other podcast before that you've been on? Just would love to hear some insight or insider (laughs) information here. Okay, I got one because you didn't tell me you were going to ask this question. So I'll bring it back to the days when I was an employee. When I was going through college, I went to UCLA. My four summers, my undergraduate experience, I was a tour guide at Universal Studios. And I loved that job, Chris. It was a fun job. Everyone was on vacation and all this kind of stuff. But if you've ever been on the Universal tour, there's a point where the tour guide says, part the Red Sea. And the Red Sea opens and the tram grows through the, drives through the Red Sea and comes out on the other side. To this day, mm-hmm. and this was in the 1980s, to this day, I am the tour guide of a tram that didn't quite come out on the other side. We got stuck in the Red Sea. <laughs> and what I understand is even today, they talk about it in training in the sense of what would you do if? And the reality was the organization was there for me that we had our own fire department on the universal lot. So they had the fire trucks down there. They had the tram pull us that, you know, that pickup pull us out. Everyone was okay. Just kind of take your time. We're okay, you guys. Let me come around back there and just make sure everybody's okay, waiting in the water, doing all this stuff. No matter how bad things look, people will be cool if you're cool. People will be kind if you're kind. It's that simple. I'll go back to what I said earlier. What emanates from you returns to you, right? What you want for yourself, give to another. Just come from that and stop with all the noise and stop telling yourself all this stuff. The way I did that book, Chris, it was like individual crises, department and team crises, company and global crises, like three sections, right? Part of it was how do you handle a pandemic? Part of it was what do you do in a layoff or a termination? And to answer your question from earlier, just be kind. Tell people, I'm sorry it's come to this. I still appreciate everything you've done for us. I want to let you know I'll be your concierge. If you need help with your resume, if you want to do a role play on interviewing, if you need help with your unemployment or your COVID applicant, just let me know. I'll always take your call. I'm here for you. Listen, we're still going to be sad that they were terminated or laid off, but at least they feel like the company was cool and they handled it the right way. No matter what the crisis you're facing, the truth of the matter is, again, more people look to us than we know. And you set that tone for them to be kind to other people in these kinds of adverse circumstances. Just make of your life yeah. a gift. Make of your life a gift. But you be there for people. The rest of it's going to take care of itself. And I just keep it that simple and kind of come from the wisdom to as best you can. I love that. Not only fun fact, but just one of the best ways we could possibly have ended this episode with that nice key theme there. So Paul, I can't thank you enough for joining me on this podcast and imparting all your wisdom, the things from your book and your decades of experience. And I just want to say thank you for joining us today and and all that you do in, in the world. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. It's been my pleasure. I really appreciate it. It was a great, great podcast interview. I appreciate it. Awesome. You take care, Paul. Listeners, this concludes this episode of the Career Warrior Podcast. I truly enjoyed this episode. Such remarkable content, words of wisdom, and stories that were shared. 
And I mean, when I say this, folks, I'm going to go back and listen to this episode, perhaps a couple of times after just so I can internalize some of these things that were said today, I would encourage you to do the same thing. Because repetition is one of the best ways to truly lock in learning and not let things go from one ear and out the other. So I would encourage you folks to not only listen to this episode again, if you got something key out of it, but do what my favorite thing is ever, but post this episode on LinkedIn and tag both me and tag both Paul and let us know what insights you got from this. I think other listeners or other folks deserve to hear some of these things as well. And whenever you share content like this, this especially locks in, I think, the learning. So it would make me so happy if you went in and, again, shared this episode. But feel free to connect with both me and Paul on LinkedIn. Follow us, and we will make sure to stay in touch throughout the years to come. Now, folks, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. This was a fun one, and I will see you two weeks from now for our next Career Warrior Podcast episode. Take care. Career Warrior Podcast. And before you go, remember, if you're not seeing the results you want in your job search, our highly trained team of professional resume writers here at Let's Eat Grandma can help. Head on over to letseatgrandma.com forward slash podcast to get a free resume critique and $70 off any one of our resume writing packages. We talk all the time on the show about the importance of being targeted in your job search. And with our unique writing process and focus on individual attention, you'll get a resume, cover letter, and LinkedIn profile that are highly customized and tailored to your goals to help you get hired faster. Again, head on over to letseatgrandma.com forward slash podcast. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.